So good. If you've got your Bibles, open up 2 Corinthians 6. You know, from the very beginning, human beings were created to walk with God through every part of every day. But because he created us with a, good, uh, with a free will, we get to choose whether or not we'll walk in fellowship with him or not, day in, day out. God's desire is clear. He wants us to build our lives on and around him and his love for us. We've been singing about that all morning. And to that end, he prepares good works in advance every day for us to do together with him. He also communicates with us in a variety of creative ways. Last week, we looked at Psalm 19. David was highlighting God speaking to us through nature and talked about him speaking to us through the written and through rhema words and as through his testimonies, his commandments, his commands, his judgment, and the glue that keeps us receiving, responding, and moving in harmony with all the ways that God communicates with us is living in the fear of the Lord. Living in the fear of the Lord, which has nothing to do with being afraid of God and everything to do with relating to God on the basis of love, honor, respect, and a not my will, but yours be done submission. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's a key prayer to help us keep living in harmony with God in a world full of choices. Every day we all have many practical opportunities to affirm and strengthen our faith with our words and in our hearts. At the same time, there are also many enticing opportunities to compromise our faith with our words and in our hearts. Our choices that affirm and strengthen our faith solidify our relationship with the Lord, and they keep us moving in partnership with him. They keep us moving with the advancing of his kingdom and the advancing of his government and the advancing of his peace, all of which is taking place on the earth today, regardless of what you see in the headlines or on the news. However, if we get wishy-washy, if we stop being actively engaged in the working out of our salvation, then we get out of harmony with God and we invite discordant consequences into our lives. In the middle of his letter that we call 2 Corinthians, which is actually the fourth letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, just two of them made the Bible, Paul made a sudden digression from writing about the scope of the ministry he and Timothy had had among them in previous visits. And in just a couple of paragraphs, Paul defined and identified some essential concepts related to the ongoing choices we each still face and have to make in order to keep living in harmony with God. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning of verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? In those days, Corinth was a very diverse town. It was filled with all kinds of people, all kinds of religions, all kinds of practices, all kinds of beliefs. And the people in the church in Corinth were mostly new believers. On top of that, in ways that are still happening today, the option to just keep living in the mixture and in the gray could seem more natural than drawing a line and learning how to live in a new way. Well, Paul confronted and cautioned them and us about falling into that trap, as well as the trap of staying in or being in deep level relationships and commitments with people who have different worldviews and value systems than ours, because the people that we spend the most time with will always directly affect the way we live our lives. 
The King James Version says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Or as the pure word says, with the faithless. And so to me, that verse has ramifications for our relationships and business dealings with pre-believers. Because one day everybody will confess Jesus as Lord. But also with believers. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers or with the faithless. The passion says, don't continue to team up in mismatched alliances. The Amplified says, do not make mismated alliances or come under a different yoke with them that is inconsistent with your faith. The message says, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Paul was a straight shooter and he challenged them and us with the reality that if we want to be people who are aspiring to right living and right standing with God. We don't match up well with people who are living in willful iniquity and lawlessness. To further his point, Paul wrote about light and dark not occupying the same space any more than Christ and the devil do. Now in the text, it said Belial. Belial is an Old Testament term. It means worthlessness, wickedness, and destruction. But in those days, it was regularly used um, in Corinth as a word for the devil, Belial. But there was another word they used for the devil that I wish had showed up in here because I think it's better. It's beliar, beliar, because that's what he'd be doing. He'd be lying every time. He's, he's, he was lying from the beginning. It's his native tongue. It's what he does all the time. He's really good at it. He's been doing it a long time. Bottom line, the underlying principle that Paul introduced here is that any relationship that hinders or prohibits us from continuing to cultivate a healthy, solid, uncompromised, growing expression of our faith in the Lord is best to be avoided. In their New Testament letters, James and John would both echo these same kind of warnings. James writing that friendship with this world is a type of hostility toward God. And in 1 John 2, in the Passion, it says this, don't set the affections of your heart on this world or on loving things of the world. Stop loving the ways of the world and the world system. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all the world can offer, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of things of the world, and obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father. The current systems, structures, and order of the world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those who love to continually and habitually do the will of God will live forever. Remember, Jesus invited all of us to just wear one yoke, his his. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's an open invitation to accept his direction and his guidance for our lives. Rather than taking the I'll do it my way approach or the, well, I'll do it their way this time approach. Both of those ways can be so exhausting. And Jesus knew that. And so he extended his offer to all who are weary and burdened. He said, we'd find rest for our souls when we say yes to him. And he also said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But just what did he mean by easy? We think of easy as something not too hard or difficult or something that takes little or no effort. But that's not what Jesus meant. In the Amplified, they translate this word that Jesus used as easy like this. My yoke is wholesome, useful, good, comfortable gracious, and pleasant. My yoke is easy. It's 
wholesome, useful, good, comfortable, gracious, and pleasant, which is in contrast to harsh, hard, sharp, and pressing. Again, whoever we're yoked with will have a direct impact on how we live. And it's all too common for us to find ourselves wearing the wrong yoke. It could be something that someone else has put upon us. Or it could be something that we put upon ourselves. We took it upon ourselves because it seemed like our responsibility. But when we understand what Jesus meant by easy, it becomes more obvious to discern if we're wearing the right or the wrong yoke. Through the years, many times uh, sharing, talking, visiting, praying with people, something that a lot of times the Lord will have me do with them and do to myself sometimes is, nope, taking that yoke off. That's not mine to wear. That one's too heavy. That one's too hard. That one is, that, that, no, that's too much. That's too much. His yoke is wholesome. It's good. And his yoke is comfortable. And his yoke, he carries the heavy part. If what you're carrying right now feels too heavy, there's a pretty good chance it's not yours to be carrying. Amen. And so just brush that one off and take again his yoke. The my burden is light part speaks to God's promise that he will not ask us or give us more to carry than we can handle. Now, there'll be testing in all of our lives. There'll be situations that push us, things that pull us, things that stretch us out of our comfort zone, sometimes even to the very core of who we are. But when those times and seasons come, God's promise is to give us a way to stand up underneath all those outside pressures. And in those times, God will give us the grace we need to pass each test. Verse 16, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Paul highlighted an identity check, affirming again that we are the temple of the living God. I like the way the pure word says it. We are the living temple of God. Because so many times we think about the temple as a structure. We think about church as a building. We are the living temple of God. We're church everywhere we go. We meet here together as a fellowship of believers, but we're church. We're that living temple everywhere we go. And beyond being just a place of visitation, some place that we stop into and God drops by and sees us once or twice a week or something like that, what's in his heart is for us to experience life as a place of habitation for the presence of the Lord. Paul was reminding them and us of the word of the Lord from Exodus, Leviticus, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. My dwelling place will be with them. I will dwell in and with and among them. I will walk in and with and among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. In Jeremiah 32, after the Lord said, they'll be my people and I'll be their God. God went on to this promise and I will give them singleness of heart and action. I'll give them singleness of heart and action. The Amplified says, I'll give them one heart and one way. And here's why God said he'd do that. So that they will always fear me. So that they will always walk with me in a place of reverence. Why? For their own good and for the good of their children after them. Our lives make a difference. Our lives make a difference. We're not just living for ourselves. And this reminded me of the generational blessing that's included in this current double portion increase word that the Lord is working among us in this 24th year of our fellowship. 
as we enlarge, stretch, do not hold back, lengthen, and strengthen. The increase God has in mind for us to experience is meant to affect us, but also to affect our sons and daughters coming after us in both the natural and the spirit realm. And we say, let it be so, Lord. Verse 17, therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The pure word cast this as three musts. For this reason, you must come away from the midst of them. And you must be separate and you must not touch the morally impure. In Greek, all of these words are intentional choices. Come out is the choice to depart or even to escape. And that never happens by accident. Be separate points to setting boundaries as well as making limits and if necessary to divide. And not touch describes choices that include not attaching ourselves to, not fastening ourselves to, and specifically not getting set on fire by, by unclean things. Touch no unclean thing. It's about recognizing and avoiding getting contaminated or hooked by things that God deems as morally impure. So looking at this word impure, and it, it can mean uncleansed. It can also mean unpruned. And I was, as I was thinking about that and processing that, the, the thought came to me, we get ourselves into those situations when we quit using self-control. When we allow ourselves to control us rather than keeping ourselves submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Then we can find ourselves involved with immorally impure things. And that's, that's not neutral because our participation in things like that give the demonic legal access into our lives. And if you open the door just a little bit to the demonic, it never comes just a little bit. There's a whole flood that comes with it. And we serve a deliverer who can set us free from any of that, but it's best not to open the door. We, uh, uh, Sozo was doing some work at our house uh, a couple weeks ago, and we, put, we finally put up a new privacy fence around our property. But for one night, we could, didn't have the gates in the backyard from the time we took the new one down to the time we put the, we took the old one down and put the new one up. So guess what? In our backyard, the one night that we didn't have the gate up, we had the whole neighborhood deer population in our backyard. <laughs> They were, like, they were like, we don't get to go here very much. Let's check this out. Let's see what's in here. There's no, no door closed here. Same in our lives. You know, once they put the gate up the next day, hadn't had a deer back there since. And they put better latches on the gate than I had because sometimes the wind would blow open my old gate. That's not going to happen anymore because the gate is closed. And it keeps, same way with us. Same way with us. Just keep the gate closed. It, it does not do us any good to open up the door to that gate. Jesus one time said, he has no hooks in me. And that's the way the Lord wants us to live as well. Come out, be separate, don't touch. The main thing that keeps us away from obeying these three musts is our pride. Mark Twain once said, it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. And our pride resists repentance. And our pride always comes with his own package of justifications and self-delusions. But Proverbs 11:2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 16:18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 29:23 says, a person's pride will bring them low. God loves us too much to let us live consequence-free in our pride. Yeah. 
And so several places in scripture, it says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The doorway and the path into living out these come out, be separate, and don't touch musts only happens in concert with choices to humble ourselves before the Lord. Not just once, but over and over again, day after day after day. Like Jesus often did, Paul paraphrased some Old Testament texts here, in this case from Isaiah and Ezekiel, as he made this emphasis on living in the world, but not of it. But we really need to understand his main point. It's a mistake to think of come out of them as a call to some form of isolationism. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And as much as ever before, the world needs us to show up like that every day. What if not being of this world is actually a starting place or a launching pad rather than a hideaway destination? What if not being of this world is actually a starting place, a launching pad, rather than a hideaway destination. You remember Jesus' prayer in John 17? Jesus said, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And although there's a clear and obvious call in our lives as followers of Jesus, not to let our lives get camouflaged into lifestyles that look just like the ways of the world. A better target and application and answer to Jesus' prayer for us is to live as sent ones who prioritize faithfully pressing into and staying close to God. Rather than working so hard to sever our ties with the ways of the world, a more effective separation strategy starts with choosing to walk in the light as God is in the light. When we choose to do that, when we live and dwell with God in an active, ongoing, conversational relationship, God changes, transforms, and renews our hearts, our mind, and our wants from the inside out. As that happens, separation from the world and its ways starts taking place more naturally. You don't want to be part of that anymore. Those things that were interesting to us aren't interesting anymore. Those things that seem to meet our needs, you're like, no, that's a waste. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not living in that place anymore. And then as we consistently stand with God while learning and practicing the art of moving in step with the Holy Spirit, as Philippians says, we will become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which we are to shine like stars in the universe as we hold out, live out, and demonstrate the life-changing power of the word of life. Uh, when uh, our girls were younger, two youngest girls, uh, when I would take them to school, um, dropping them off at Tyvee High School before they started driving, uh, the last thing I would say to them as they got out of the car every day was, shine like a star in the universe. Shine like a star in the universe. And th- I was thinking about, you know, that might be a good thing for us to embrace. Uh, look yourself in the mirror in the morning before you leave the house. Tell yourself, shine like a star in the universe. When you're in your car and you're about to get out of your car to go someplace, one more glance into the rearview mirror. Tell yourself, shine like a star in the universe today. Because we're sent with a reason and a purpose. And we are the ones right now that God has on the planet to hold out, live out, and demonstrate the life-changing power of the word of life. Shine like a star in the universe. 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, 
Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The Amplified says, since these great and wonderful promises are ours, and I woke up during the middle of the night thinking about that particular translation, and I thought about the importance of standing on the promises of God. God didn't just give us his promises so we can have them in our Bible and keep them on a shelf. He didn't just give us our promises so we can just stick them in our pocket. No, yep, we got his promises in our pocket. He gave us his promises so that we can stand on those promises. And even this morning, Cindy was listening to a testimony, and it was a, a, a man that was, he was dying of COVID. The doctor called his wife, said, it's over, it's done. His wife rose up and started quoting promises of the Lord, called for intercession. Well, that man's still here today. There's something powerful in the promises of standing on the promises, of speaking the promises, of declaring the promises. God is not ever offended. We remind him of his promises. You said... You'll never leave me and forsake me. You said that I wouldn't be tested or tempted beyond what I can stand or you said. You can use that with a God. These great and wonderful promises are ours. And this promises means an announced divine assurance of good. That's what it means in the Greek. An announced divine assurance of good. In context, Paul was doubling back to a thought from earlier in the letter. He said earlier in this letter, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. The amazing thing about God's promises is they're not just powerful words to build our life upon. They're also his powerful presence in our hearts to help us live them out and experience them. The writer of Hebrews added this insight related to acquiring and moving in these promises. He said, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order that you make your hope sure. We don't want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised. In the Greek, this inherit is actually those who are inheriting. So it speaks of an ongoing process and a gradual acquisition rather than an instant download. And learning to make a draw upon this inheritance will require faith, <coughs> excuse me, faith and patience. Learning to make a draw. You know, you see the stories in the natural when somebody wins the lottery or somebody gets the whole uh, inheritance given to them when they're not ready for it. And more often than not, that destroys their life. That doesn't make their life like they thought. But we have a loving father who knows better than that. So he has an inheritance that we have access to because of what Jesus has done for us and our lives being in him. But as we take hold of it, we take hold of it by faith and by patience. Now, the faith part means sometimes it'll look like we're not getting hold of it. Sometimes it'll look like it's not happening. Sometimes it may feel like and seem like the exact opposite is happening. But by faith, we hold on to what God said. By faith, we take hold of the inheritance that we have in Christ. We take hold of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, no matter what it feels like. And then the patience part kicks in. And that word patience can also be perseverance. It can be endurance. And, and I, I'm pretty sure you've recognized, as I have, that God's clock and our clock very rarely is the same. He just isn't as in as much a hurry as we tend to get, and the whole urgent thing doesn't seem to mess with him. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's pretty confident with what he's doing and how he's working things out. 
And like my dad said, he's very rarely early, but he's never late. That's our, that's our God. We take hold of his inheritance by faith and patience. And so as it is with so many things with God and so many things done God's way, as we sang this morning, he's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And that's not sit back in your lazy boy recliner, put the seat up and wait for God to come. That's a full engaged, full engaged waiting and serving the Lord. He's in that kind of waiting. Since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves. This purify speaks of intentional acts of cleansing. It literally means to clean, even to purge. One time, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day, and he said, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Now, let's not be throwing any stones at the Pharisees, because we all got Pharisee inside of us. Some of us in more portion than others. We can all have the tendency to try to do something on the outside without doing the work on the inside. But this kind of purify, there's no need to pretend. There's no need to try to just look good for other people. This purify starts on the inside and manifests outwardly. And I've said it before, but in case you don't remember or you're new here and you hadn't heard me say it, when it comes to that kind of pretending where you're just like looking good on the outside, you know, but inside you're a mess, pretty much the only person you're fooling is you. Because people who know you and people who love you are seeing through that mess. Now, they might not be saying something to you about it, but they're probably praying about it for you. And then comes the day when you go, look, I got to tell you something. Uh, you know, you probably wouldn't know it, but I've been, and you, oh, we knew that the whole time. Praise the Lord, you got it. Praise the Lord, you saw it. Don't live in that anymore. So don't do the, don't do the pretend thing. You're only fooling yourselves. God sees through it. Other people see through it. You might as well just walk in the light and allow this purging, this purifying to take place from the inside. Clean the inside, then the outside will be clean also. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. The message says, make a clean break from everything that defiles and distracts both within and without. Last night when I was reading that here and sharing that here and then through the night, distracts is a key thought. Because I don't think that many times we put distracts in the same category as defiles. But in Hebrews 12, we're exhorted to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Distractions might be normal, but they are not neutral. And they're not random either. Many times distractions come as a direct attack to steal our attention or to steal our focus away to, from the things that really matter. This word for contaminate means filthiness, and this kind of contamination leaves a stain. This kind of contamination degrades, it soils, it pollutes our mind and spirit. There's another one I, I woke up during the night thinking about this, and I heard myself, don't mess with Texas. <laughs> that kind of commercial. Listen, this kind of contamination. Don't mess, don't, don't let it mess with you. Don't, don't let people throw their trash in, in you. Don't throw your own trash. There's a trash can for a reason. Put it there. Amen. So how do we get all that stuff off and out of us? Ephesians 5 talks about cleansing that comes as we wash ourselves in the water of the word of God. 
James 4 talks about coming near to God, washing our hands, purifying our hearts of all double-mindedness. And of course, the first step is 1 John 1, 9, confessing our sin to God and receiving his forgiveness and his cleansing. When we confess, we cleanse our conscience and we remove all the obstacles to harmony, unbroken fellowship, and communion with God. Our choice to deal with and get rid of anything that contaminates any part of who we are is part of the process of perfecting holiness out of reverence to God. Perfecting means to further fulfill. And it points to being made perfect. It's a being made perfect process that relates to things that we do and things that we choose not to do anymore. The Passion says, complete the development of holiness within us. The pure word says, continuously, by our choice, completing holiness of spirit and fear of God. This holiness woos us into alignment with sacredness. It's living as one who is set apart to and for the Lord. It's living in harmony with Christ in us, the hope of glory. And living there from a place of joyfully submitted reverence. Perfecting holiness involves a cleansing that comes from turning away from sin, as well as the connection that comes with turning towards God. It's God's desire for each of us to live redeemed and free from the things of our past. One thing that we all share in common with each other is that we all have a past. But it's not God's heart for our past to continue defining our present. And it's not God's heart for our past to keep hindering spiritual maturity. And it's not God's heart for our past to be allowed to interfere with and stand in the way of his plans for our future. We all have a past, but we are created and designed to be overcomers. Hey, we're actually even created designed to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. A significant transformative dynamic in the whole perfecting holiness process involves increasing our confidence in God. No matter what comes our way, instead of allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed by what or who we perceive to be coming against us, we can choose to find God with us in the middle of every situation and circumstance. In all things, God is working for our good. He's so good that he can even take things that were meant for evil against us. And he can take those things, turn them, and use them for our good. Many times the things that he sets us free from that held us in the past, once he sets us free, he gives us authority to speak and set other people free of those very same things. So we get set free from those things, and then God starts bringing people across our path who, as we speak to them, I've been there, I've done that, but this is what God did for me. And then you get to pray and speak life and see them set free from that. God is always at work in our lives. There's so many brilliant ways that he works with and in us in order to get his word and his promises established in our life. His grace really is sufficient for every need on the good days and the bad. Footnote in the Passion said, Believers today must take an active and disciplined approach to spiritual maturity and living holy lives. Grace never removes our responsibility to be faithful to God. Hear that again. Grace never removes our responsibility to be faithful to God. Grace empowers us to do what pleases God. 
In Philippians 2, Paul wrote, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. God's grace is what makes it possible for us to live in harmony with God. Grace is the indwelling, empowering presence of God that enables us to be who we're created to be so that we can do what we're created to do. Here in 2 Corinthians 6, it's clear that embracing our true identity as living temples of God is meant to inform all of our relational and lifestyle choices. And the perfecting holiness out of reverence for God process is not just about us. It's also essential for our witness in the midst of a lost and dying world that needs, to, needs Jesus and needs to see Jesus in people's lives like us. With that in mind, let me finish with some of Paul's apostolic prayer from 1 Thessalonians 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy one. And the spirit and the bride say, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word that has called us out of the ways of the world. We thank you for your word that is alive and well in us so that we can shine like stars in the universe and so that we can be people who move and live and have our being in you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd continue disconnecting us from things, uh, hooks and distractions and defiling things that we have no business being part of. In fact, I pray you'd do it even in us right now, Lord. And, And when we walk out of here, we walk out different and changed, disconnected from those things. And that when we get to the parking lot, we're still disconnected from those things. They don't get back on us when we get back out there. It's for freedom that you have set us free. And we thank you for that that is in your heart. You give us free will to choose to live in your freedom or not. Help us use our free will for that purpose and to that end. Because you are so worth and worthy of having a people who are living on the planet, wholehearted, sold out, completely given to you. Not our will, but yours being done in, with, and through us. And we want to be some of those people. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.